back. I'm so excited that we are here for Soul Talk podcast number two. And today we're going to address a topic that's being talked about a lot these days, thanks to the work of, you know, a lot of people, including Brene Brown and others. And it's a topic that's actually been around, well, in actuality forever. Um, But like the concept of grief that we looked at in podcast number one, our subject today is one that touches each and every one of us in some way, whether we know it or not. It's shame. You know, lighthearted little easy topic. (laughs) It's shame. We're going to talk about how it works in the human soul and some of how it works out in our daily lives. And I know that my friend Allie will agree with me here that it sucks, right? Yep. So joining me, as you hear, is a great friend. She's an incredible author, an editor, a blogger, and an overall wordsmith extraordinaire. It's my friend, Allie Hooper. So let's welcome Allie. Ah, the crowd goes wild. Allie is a licensed school counselor. She works for the Ohio Counseling Association. We've co-authored a devotional together. Um, Allie's responsible for a lot of the social media and correspondence verbiage that runs around the soul healing and satisfaction worlds. She co-facilitated the first ever soul healing intensive with me this past January. We had a great time. And I am thrilled to be presently doing a study on shame with her and five other incredible women. So Allie, I'm super pumped that you're doing this with me. I'm super pumped to be here. So as we say hello to you and settle in to talk about, you know, this lighthearted topic of shame, (laughs) can you tell us, just the listeners, a little bit about you and where God has you sort of interacting with this concept? Thank you, Tammy. You were were sweet. Uh, Shame, gosh. I think shame really came into focus for me. It was several months ago and actually was in a professional capacity, which now that I'm more aware of shame's role in my life, it's no surprise that it was through my professional life that I began to understand shame's grip on me because I'm an achiever. Achieving sort of been my mask, if you will, mm-hmm. for as long as I can remember, really since my childhood. So, of course, shame's going to be all over that. Whoa, okay. Well, wow, right out of the gate there, you mentioned masks, which <laughs> is good. We got to come back to that for sure. But... Probably, let's first talk about maybe try to define shame, which, good luck, right? Because it is a very hard concept to try to define. That's one of the hardest things about shame is try to get your arms around. It's kind of like trying to pin jello to a wall, really. So while defining it is difficult, it truly is, I think that Dr. Kurt Thompson, that he's done a really good job of this whole topic. Yeah, it's been really insightful to be working through this book together, The Soul of Shame. That's the title of Dr. Kirk Thompson's book, The Soul of Shame. It's been quite the journey we've been on with this group of women. Yeah, he did, and he does a great job of defining it, mm-hmm. so to speak. In his book, he call, he says, it is a slight or robust impression that, should we put words to it, would declare some version of, I am not enough there's something wrong with me. I'm bad or I don't matter. Yeah. Yeah, His point is excellent that it's hard to find words for it, but that it's like this powerful emotion and belief set that a person has that sort of settles in Hmm. that like, I'm, I'm busted. I'm, I'm broken. Hmm. I'm defective somehow, unacceptable, maybe even sort of this sense that somebody carries around that I'm kind of damaged beyond repair. Gosh, 
That's heavy. Like, I'm just having to take a breath just listening to that definition, even though I've really started to become more and more familiar with it. Yeah. I think something else that he says that has really resonated with me along this journey is shame. Kurt Thompson, Dr. Kurt Thompson says, shame is something we all experience at some level more consciously for some than for others. Mm-hmm. I think the reason that hits me, that resonates so strongly with me, is because once I became conscious of shame's power in my life, it was sort of like this veil was lifted. I could see shame's impact on me and my life really everywhere I looked. Whereas before, I was kind of ignorant to it. Totally. I get totally get yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, something else he's helped me to realize as I'm on this journey, I'm still in the thick of it, uh, probably will always be. I've also come to understand that not all shame is created equal. Huh. So one person's sort of deep humiliation might be something that, you know, barely embarrasses somebody else, which makes sense because, yeah, yeah. again, yeah, so he sort of teaches that shame is this fear that we're more screwed up than anyone else. Mm-hmm. We're more screwed up than other people. Mm-hmm. We're uniquely defective or different. And so what makes me ashamed for being defective or different isn't necessarily what's going to make you ashamed. Mm-hmm. That all being said, as I'm becoming more and more aware of what shame is and its role in my life, I'm still really struggling to understand how this came to be. It's like, I just want to understand where did this come from? Why? Why? Yeah. Yeah. That's really good because when we try to figure out like, yeah, okay, why do I struggle with shame? I think it's important to realize kind of two areas that it comes from. The first is that it's shaped by what I'm going to call our formative environments. Okay. So when you get the message, particularly in maybe shaping years of your life, that you're inadequate or that you should feel ashamed, that's going to go in at sort of a level that is more hardwired when you're an adult. Right. Yeah. So people who grow up in certain environments, um, they can get the message that they're like, undeserving, inadequate, inferior, that at uh, maybe a core level, they should feel ashamed. So for instance, if a child, you know, at the age of five says, you know, daddy, can you help me tie my shoe? And for whatever reason, from anything from a bad day to just a bad dad, you know, dad looks at the child and says, you should know how to tie your shoe by the time you're five. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That child just gotten the message of shame. Right. Should is always a shame carrier, by mm. the way. That's good. Okay, so, but if it's maybe when that someone's an adolescent um, or even a, a spouse that's married, right? Somebody that's older. Shame can continue to be something that we receive in our environment. So if an adolescent walks out and his or her parent says, you're wearing that, or a spouse walks out and his or her spouse says, you're wearing that. Again, you can hear <laughs> yep. the implicit shame in that, right? So over time, whether it's in those formative years and therefore very intense, or whether it's later on in life, our environments can be, you know, what cause a great deal of shame uh, inside us and unconsciously can become the way in which we actually perceive ourselves, that inside we start to feel maybe even painful self-contempt and worthlessness. So that's kind of the uh, foreground, if you will. Right. So I just wonder too, like, is there more going on? Like, part of my shame, I even wonder if some of it I kind of not fell into, but it became a part of me more in my adulthood. 
So I even wonder if it goes back further than that. Well, I think there's a key here that is critical for everyone. Yes, because, you know, like my husband came from an unbelievably wonderful family. So it's like, why would he ever struggle with shame? And he does. It's this, that while our shaping environments are critical, if you remember at the outset, the very introduction, I said that we all broadly have shame. Right. And I did mention Brene Brown, and she actually calls shame a silent epidemic, which means, you know, it's kind of pandemic-y to everybody, right? Oh, that's good. Yeah. And here's why I would make such a bold statement is to say we all have shame. Here's why. Because shame was present in the Garden of Eden. Okay. If you look at Genesis 3 and the surrounding passages, right? Before brokenness entered the world, what was going on? Adam and Eve had unbroken fellowship, unmitigated fellowship with God and with one another. They had absolutely everything they could ever want in terms of their needs taken care of, in terms of just relationally everything. And here's the phrase that we can understand that through. They were naked and, do you know it? Unashamed. That's not right. (laughs) First of all, can you imagine? No. Like every time I hear that phrase, I'm like, wait, what? No. Because <laughs> I can't imagine if we're just being honest. But anyhow. <laughs> no. So they were naked and unashamed in that state of perfect provision, perfect communion with God, with one another, perfectly taken care of. That, that, that state that we were created for. We were made for the garden. Right? We were made for Eden and eternity. But what happened was after giving in to, you know, evil's temptation, right? What did they do? They covered themselves. And then they hid from God. They did the converse of being naked and unashamed. They put fig leaves on. They covered themselves and then they hid. They had transformed from being naked and unashamed to covered and ashamed. So ever since then, every one of us faces that same pole to what Adam and Eve experienced immediately, immediately when their brokenness was in play. They felt exposed and they tried to cover it. And we've been doing it ever since. Oh my gosh. Okay. It's so funny because like on one hand, it kind of helps me to know that shame existed since like the beginning of humanity. In other words, it helps me to feel less shame knowing that, yeah, it's like I know now, okay, shame is practically an inevitable part of existence like it's just part of being a human yes and so that in a in a way sort of lifts a little bit of that shame heaviness for me yes however like you've alluded to with adam and eve hiding my brokenness this coupling of shame and hiding Mm -hmm. oh i don't even know if i can say it it is such a rampant part of my Mm -hmm. life like Mm -hmm. the pairing of those two things is so coupled, like so tightly knit together that it's Mm -hmm. almost unconscious on some level. So like, for instance, this just happened to me just this week. I'm in the grocery store and I'm looking, you know, a little less than put together, okay? (laughs) A little frizzy, a little frumpy, all the things, okay? (laughs) Stop putting that image in your head. All right, so (laughs) I'm like barreling through the aisles because I just want to get through it. And of course... Of course. No. Oh my gosh. I see. I see someone I recognize. Okay. I know. Ugh. So I see them. They don't see me. And I haven't seen this person in like years. Oh no, that's even worse. Oh gosh. <laughs> oh no. Okay. I, I have never. 
turned my cart in the other direction so fast and like made a beeline out of that aisle. And it's not like I stopped to think, oh, Allie, you're feeling shame right now. You should turn directions. Um, it, like, no, I just like snapped into like hide, hide, hide. It wasn't even really conscious. But as I sit here with you processing this right now, I 100% know that my cart was steered by shame. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so good. That's so good. Well, I mean, if you're going to be so vulnerable, thanks a lot because it's just, you know, I have to match you. If, if I'm being honest, I, I really don't think I've ever gone to the grocery store without makeup. Yeah. I'm serious. <laughs> <sighs> I, uh, I hide my natural look. I absolutely know. That that is out of the shame of when I was in third grade. I had an adult in my family tell me that I was homely. I looked it up in the dictionary, saw what it meant, and realized, oh, that's not good. Okay. So I got to try to fix that, right? And so then I tried to somewhat like walk free from that after I came to know Christ, but I was still a fairly young adult when then somebody that that I looked up to in the faith, an older woman that I was a little bit looking up to as a mentor, we had gone out to like a women's retreat and we were rooming together. And in the morning when I awoke with no makeup on, she looked at me and we, I was 33 at the time. She looked at me and she said, oh my gosh, what are you like 10 with no makeup on? (laughs) And it took me right back. And so, yeah. Yeah, most people would say it's vanity that causes you to not go to the grocery store without makeup. And I'm like, no, that feeling is not vain. vain. It is shame. Oh, gosh. By the way, you know what's helped me walk out of shame? COVID masks. <laughs> I, oh, have gone, I have gone to the grocery <laughs> store these past weeks with no makeup on because my face is covered. <laughs> okay. To- yes. No one has seen the pimple on my chin all week because of that so thank you oh my goodness okay have we gone off the rails or are we still good okay, i think we're still good because you know what we just did we just brought up the word masks and yes. when it comes to shame <laughs> masks as you mentioned at the outset yeah. and as we just uh looked at with adam and eve they're always in play with yeah. shame yeah because they were naked and ashamed and the moment that they sinned and brokenness came into being right what did they do they hid. They covered themselves. And that is what we do. Uh, I can't tell you how many retreats I've been asked to speak at and how many things, male, females. Whenever I speak to groups about masks, it is universal. Everybody says yes. Yeah. They put them on. And they're always used to try to cover uh, when we feel exposed. Whenever we feel like, you know, our brokenness is going to come into play. That is when we all of a sudden put on our humor mask or we all of a sudden put on our super spiritual mask or I've got it all together mask. Or when I take a survey at churches, no matter whether it's a big church, small church, male, female, doesn't matter. Do you know what mask is the one that all the time comes back as the most popular? Can you guess it? No. I'm fine. Oh, damn me. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, masks. Oh, gosh. Huge part of what's going on in church, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and I know, again, I spoke about this at the beginning, like just performing, achieving. I I can do that at church. I can look real good at church. 
um, I'm cool. I'm, I'm getting things done. I can blend in if I want. I can kind of be out there if I want. I mean, those are all certain, on certain levels, masks, just trying to keep people from getting to what's really going on with me where I might feel some vulnerability and shame. And I'm not sure that the, that every listener who realizes that he or she uses masks, right. you know, has put that together with because there's this bait of shame yeah. that is constantly an undercurrent in every person's life. Well, if people really knew what I said to my kids on my way to church that morning. Right. If people really knew um, what I was doing the night before. Right. Yeah. I mean, I carry that. Right. And so I can totally relate to these masks. Right. So I'm hoping that we're all getting to uh, have a sense of how insidious and dangerous that shame is. It's debilitating. See, it wants to take us from this idea that, like, for instance, we don't just, you know, have strengths and weaknesses. That we just don't have aspects of us that are wonderful and, you know, not so wonderful. No, no, no. It's more that our fundamental flaws are, like, reprehensible. That they render us worthy of rejection. You know what I mean? Rather than just like, no, it's a weakness. No, 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 no. It's a flaw that carries like ultimate rejection. It's gross. You're gross. You know what I'm saying? It's like this idea that we, it pulls us, shame pulls us to this constant evaluation where the bottom line is some version of, yeah, you're just, you're just less Think about how you evaluate your parenting. Think, listener, why do you compare yourself with your coworkers? Or why you never do things like share your testimony? Shame is in play. Shame is in play. Mm-hmm. The pull to hide our sin, the, the pull to just not tell somebody your mistake, the pull to hide our weaknesses, our failings, our struggles. It's all part of what happens as we unwittingly do what they did in the garden. So we're going back there, which is listen to the voice of hell saying, Eh, you don't need to trust God's way. You don't need to listen to God's voice. You don't need to trust that the way that he said is best. And the rest kind of follows from there. So it's wicked. It's wicked. Yeah. I just listening to that list, just listening to you kind of talk a little bit more deeply about it. I'm like feeling some emotion here. Like some Mm. of it's just sadness, but some of it just makes me angry. And it's helping me to realize that shame has essentially prevented me from experiencing the fullness of my life. Like in some ways I've been imprisoned by my shame. That's, I think what just, just infuriates me, but also just causes me intense grief. Like, so what? Okay. I can hide from someone at the grocery store. That's one thing. But Tammy, I can think of many instances in my life in which I chose not to participate in life or a relationship well, shame is totally a prison. Excuse me for interrupting, but yeah. you just use the word imprisoned. Yeah. I think to put an equal mark between those two words is appropriate. Shame equals prison. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can think of just not allowing myself to enter into an opportunity to connect with another human being because of the shame I was experiencing. Mm. So like... I can remember, oh, I'm going to get rashy. I can remember, (laughs) I'm feeling it right now. Just, you know, this is, you know, this is not that long ago, several years ago, but a group of friends from college, they're back in town. It's like the holiday, right? So everyone's kind of come back to see their families. And so they all want to meet up for dinner. And, you know, a couple of them had flown in from these big cities where they had these big jobs. And another was just kind of coming in from a business meeting and she had just launched these incredible businesses. And at the time 
I was struggling with this shame that, you know, my greatest accomplishment since college was finally locating the sour milk infested sippy cup (laughs) that had been fermenting under my couch. Like that, I felt such shame in comparison. Tammy, I didn't go to dinner with them. I didn't go to dinner with these beautiful, amazing, precious friends because of my shame. So, you know, I come up with some lame excuse and I stayed home. And it may, maybe that seems small again to someone who's listening, but I can still feel that moment. I can still see myself sitting in my living room, sending a text to these friends, making something up, essentially lying to them about why I couldn't be there. And Mm. the truth is, I think part of the reason it's kind of causing me to have hives right now is that Mm. I still struggle with that shame. Mm -hmm. And that incident was years ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, just listening to you share that is causing me to feel the same kind of emotion because that is the goal. That is the goal of hell. That is the goal of shame, which is to cause us to hide, to cause us to isolate. And when I think about you, you, Allie, beautiful spirit, isolating, not going to dinner, it just breaks my heart. And I think about all of the beautiful souls that are doing the very same thing, perhaps even last night. Yeah. Hiding and isolating is no way for a child of God to live. That is not why he put you here. That is not why he created the children of God exactly the way he made them to be. But that is exactly, I mean, you just, you laid it out beautifully. That one of shame's primary methods or goals, if you will, is isolation. It's isolation. Make us feel alone. Make us feel so different, so despicable, so other in some way, shape, or form, right? Which speaks to a lot of what's going on in our culture. Make us feel so alone that we should hide. It's heartbreaking. It's funny when I think, as I sit here right in this moment and think back to that, like, I don't know how you think about your memories, but mine sometimes have a color and like the color of that memory is so dark. Mm. Like, it's not like I sat home and had a great night. Right. Like I sat in that shame that night. Right. And I can still sort of see that, feel that, know that darkness. Like it was just, ah. Right. Right. Boy, that's huge because I think that is what shame is. It's a darkness. And that is, of course, what evil is, is darkness. And I think about how God has said, he is light and we are light in him. That's good. And that the darkness cannot overcome that light. So, you know, the point that we, even why we're having this podcast is there is no darkness, no matter who you are and where you're listening from. There's no darkness of which you cannot turn, right, to someone somewhere. Everyone has a darkness that haunts them. Everyone is baited to think that you're despicable. Mm. Everyone is baited to think that you're awful, that there's no return. Everyone is baited to think that you're the only one that is this bad, whether you are even having an affair that no one knows about. Whether you're up in the middle of the night eating a whole gallon of ice cream, we are all baited by the same shame. That's the lie, that you're so gross, that your sin is so dark, that you're too far gone, that there's no beauty in you. There's nothing there. You're just stuck in your gross because you are gross. That is lie upon lie upon lie. That's not true. There's always a place to turn. God is always the God of return. 
you can always return. Isaiah 30:15 says the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. And that's what evil doesn't want us to believe. That God is always there going, come on, I know what you've done. I love you. This is just the same. Absolutely just the same. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why shame is such a danger, because it keeps us from moving towards others. And more importantly, oh gosh, it keeps us from moving towards God. Yeah. That's the whole scheme. Keep us stuck and feeling too broken for others and too broken for God, right? Yeah. I think in some ways this is like beautiful to listen to you speak about it. And also it's like, those are some fighting words. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm like, okay. That's good. Okay, evil. Like, I'm ready to fight. Like, this is, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to repeat nights like that. Yeah. That's really so, good. So yeah, just, just helping me to see like, okay, the enemy is at play here. Yeah. There is a power that is fighting against me and wanting me to feel that way so that I don't connect with people and so that I don't connect with God. That's right. That's good. So that one goal of shame and that one goal of the enemy always is to keep you cemented somewhere dark and lonely. Mm. Whether that's a regretful past, right? Right. Whether that's a fearful present because of exposure, whatever. The goal is isolation. So shame's major tactic to is to destroy our faith in this way yeah so evil is this keeper of the shame flame looking for any opportunity to ignite it right oh wait that's good say that again evil is this keeper of the shame flame that's good looking for any opportunity to ignite it any opportunity to make you feel stupid so i mean even if you are looking to like lead a bible study isn't it unbelievable how you can feel stupid leading a bible study (laughs) How you can feel like you did a bad job of advancing the kingdom. Yes. How you can feel like, okay, even if you want to have a private moment with God. So you sit down to have a, you know, like read the Bible or have a quiet time, so to speak, or whatever you call it. (laughs) And you can be made to be, to feel bad. Like you're stupid. Like you didn't do it right. Didn't do it good enough. I mean, when you sit this far outside of that moment, isn't it so clear what that's about? Yes. That's so clearly the voice of, quote unquote, voice of an enemy that's going, Stop that. Get that to stop at all costs by making this person believe that they're bad. They're somehow bad or wrong in some way, shape, or form. And it's just constant. So yeah, that satanic tactic is shame. So when you are baited to feel despicable, wrong, broken, defective, always, always, always from this day forward, we are hoping and praying that you tie that back to, oh, that's shame. (gasps) Oh, that's shame. So it's much like what you said, Allie, that you begin to see how Mm -hmm. pervasive it is and how ubiquitous it is because we realize, oh my goodness, they were naked and ashamed. Oh my goodness. Yes. From that day forward, that's going to be a part of every human's challenge until we see Jesus face to face. So, wow, there's so many things we could talk about. We could be here for hours. Can you feel it? (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I just need a moment. I mean, this is good. (laughs) It's good. So I think, you know, we probably want to just maybe help the listener with how do they know if shame is an issue for them? Like, how can you know if shame is an issue for you? I think think you said the word red flags or something, right? Yeah, like the red flags of shame. I I, kind of get to see them a lot right now in my own home because I'm a mom. I have four little kids. So I see a lot of defensiveness. So when, for instance, when maybe someone's called out on a behavior or whatever, there's kind of like, I didn't do it. 
Like that wasn't me. And even as little kids, okay, it's one thing, but we do that as adults too. Like we are quick to defend or be defensive Mm -hmm. when we feel embarrassed or ashamed. Another beautiful one that I get to see a lot is deflection. Like she did it. Wasn't me. It was her. (laughs) Um, But on kind of a a more, um, a, a level that sort of even makes me feel ashamed to speak of is is the way I see deflection in my own parenting and again like I don't even realize I'm doing it it's like if I if I react to my child and it's maybe a little angry and kind of an outburst and I have this sort of overreaction I I might later apologize and say something like oh sweetie I'm sorry I overacted but you know you shouldn't have been doing that it's like I'm quick to sort of turn it yeah and there's sort of this deflection to to somebody else like I'm all of a sudden, I'm shaming her. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. Okay, that's been huge in my marriage, believe it or not. And, and how, what that boiled down into um, is that Mike helped me see that when I, I was often explaining myself, like a lot, giving rationale for, well, I did that because blank and blank and blank and then blank and blank. And so even though it wasn't necessarily overt, right. like overtly defending myself, Oh, I was giving a lot of rationale and he was like, we were able to like look together. That's a sign of shame. Yeah. If you find yourself off and defending yourself. So very similar to that. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, what you are saying and what we are saying is, by the way, assume it's in place yes. somehow in your life. So yes. begin to look and think like, oh yeah, it's an issue for me. So how is it an issue for me? So you've talked about defensiveness. You've talked about, um, you know, the deflection and similar. We're just sort of, you know, around this idea of defending yourself, explaining yourself, giving rationale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm turning the corner a little bit here, but I'm going to throw another one in here that whenever like genuine acts of goodness towards you evoke distress in you, <laughs> You can be sure that shame's at work. So, yeah. for instance, if you're a person that receiving compliments is hard for you, okay, yeah, that's that could be a sign of shame. Or if you've never really had a good thought about yourself, even in true success, oh yeah, shame is in play. Gosh. So there's a sign there for you to see. Oh, that's yeah. an issue for you. It's so funny. I just witnessed this one at the grocery store the other day. What's with me in the grocery store? I was just talking with you in the grocery store. Anyway, (laughs) anyway, uh, so, you know, it's kind of hard to assess the line right now at the grocery store because of this social distancing. So this guy sort of gets in line, but he sort of skips the line without realizing it. And this person sort of kindly says, oh, I'm sorry, sir, the line's back here. And his reaction was so disproportionate. He starts huffing and puffing like... He doesn't say it, but it's sort of this attitude of like, how dare you tell me where to go in line? And I just thought in that moment, like, okay, this disproportionate reaction, mm-hmm. it's kind of angry. Mm-hmm. There's probably some shame under there. Like mm-hmm. he was sort of called out. It might've been embarrassing. So anger was sort of the thing that was the red flag of shame that went up in mm-hmm. that moment. Um, ugh, I don't want to talk about this next one, but another one that's a red flag for me. That's probably the hard, it is the hardest one for me to admit, um, is when I'm just like numbing out my emotions, numbing out my emotions with something addictive, like overeating or drinking or some sort of program on Netflix where I can just zone out or even something stupid on my iPhone. Like that's often a sign that shame is lurking in the corners and I'm just trying to avoid it. And again, 
it's sometimes not even conscious. Well, I, that's huge. I mean, huge. <laughs> that's very common. That's not just you, Allie. And so I appreciate your vulnerability. Um, but yeah, numbing out is very much uh, an indicator of shame and very, very common. So thanks for sharing that. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is um, one that's been an indicator for me that when you can sometimes become super, I mean, almost like obsessed with what other people think, right. that you're even super sensitive to what feels like criticism, even if it isn't, and you often feel rejected by others, even when they're not rejecting you. Okay. That is oftentimes a sign that shame is an issue for you. Yeah. And so these are all, you know, these aren't like some textbook answers. These are personal answers we're giving. So even though I am a clinician, I decided to stay with the personal instead of the textbook because that's who we are. We just want to be real about it. But I will say this. Any level of self-hatred, self-loathing, self-abusive thoughts and behaviors, folks, anytime those are in play, that's evidence that you are struggling with shame. And it's especially evidence that the evil one is after you in Mm. this area. Absolutely, positively, 100% a direct correlation. So don't just think that you actually are a person that wants to hate yourself, that wants to hurt yourself. That is not coming from you. Maybe that's why you've listened today. Maybe that's what you've needed to hear. Because that, dear one, is not why God created you. And that is not how God has meant for you to live. That is a scheme of hell against your life. This is the biggest ruse, the biggest lie, the biggest scheme that somehow we're supposed to have it all together. Our society comes forward and puts that in our faces. Uh, There's so many things coming at us. And that is the biggest lie. God tells us, I love you the way you are. And I know your brokenness and I know your every thought and I know you're messed up and I love every inch of you and I love you in that place and do not expect you to have it all together. As a matter of fact, I use you better when you're broken. There are passages like 2 Corinthians 12, 9 that talk about in our weakness, he's strong. There are times that Paul talks about when we're busted up and <laughs> we're, we're compared to, you know, being uh, treasures in jars of clay where the beauty so- shines through the cracks, right? We'd rather be pristine and gorgeous rather than like a messed up clay jar. God is pretty clear that our brokenness is not a hindrance. Rather, he embraces us there. And so let's never, ever, ever think that this feeling of shame is coming from God's direction because it is not. Romans 8, 1, God had Paul write that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So if today you are feeling condemned, you must know you have an enemy that is working on shame, right? We're told in scripture that we are the righteousness of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 21. There's a scripture that says, if anyone's in Christ, the new, the new creation has come. The old is gone, right? Yes. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Those are just, I mean, let's, let's just stay here and riff all day long. Yeah. The point is this. If you're feeling shame, you know it's a prison. If you've ever tuned into what that feels like. And it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. That's Galatians 5, 1. Yes. And so you've got to know shame is not God's idea. It is hell's agenda. And so that's why we're here. Yeah. We just want you to identify it. And we want you to be able to live in the truth of God. 
that truth, like just, I'm, I'm feeling it. Like it's literally washing. Like it is literally feeling like some of that shame is just even dissipating in hearing and listening to the truth of God as you speak it right in this moment. Thank you, Lord. I think I get a little kind of confused maybe. I don't know if that's the best word, but it's like, okay, okay. God has set these truths before me. These are truths that I can, I can take these truths and almost use them as tools to fight this shame in my life. But how is this different than, okay, let's, um, yeah, okay, fine. Uh, let's say I'm dealing with shame about my body, how I look. How is this different than, okay, fine, I'm just going to slap on a cute little bikini. I don't care what's hanging out. I'm going to prance around the pool. I'm going to kind of shake my fist in the face of shame. Like, how is this different than just building my self-confidence and empowering me and and giving me all this self-esteem? I'm so glad you brought this up because this is the point. Putting shame in the rightful place gets self actually out of the way. See, because God made you the way that he made you and absolutely loves you the way that you are so that you can walk in freedom of, you know, concern for what other people think. You can walk so filled up in the love of God that you become what he says will be a spring of living water flowing on this earth to other people so that his love, you become an actual conduit of his love for other people. You become an actual conduit of his peace and his joy. It's almost like you're so full up of what he said you are. You're so full up of what he has deposited in you that it like splashes over to other people. But when you are stuck in shame, you are no, you are nowhere near that kind of freedom, right? And so what happens is if evil can get you stuck in the prison of shame, you are not walking out anywhere. (laughs) You are at home in a prison, right? And so it's not about literally like you being all about you. Being set free from shame means you are set free from a prison and then free to be this conduit, which is way bigger than just anything that's about you. So, oh gosh, Allie, thank you so much for bringing that up because you were meant to be a city on a hill. You were meant to be the salt of the earth. You were meant to be, you know, the light of the world. And he says, you are those things. Shame is trying to steal that very thing. That very thing. So, yeah. And I want that. Like, I want more of that. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. This is, we're, we're having church right here. I, 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 woo. So we've got to speak the truth of God it's good. over ourselves. You've got to speak the truth of God over yourself so that shame is pushed away every day. Yep. We've got to recognize what's going on. We've got to refuse the bait. We've got to choose truth. We've got to rejoice in the reality of the freedom and joy and love of God over you. You know, to go back to awesome Brene Brown, she says that if you're caught in a shame spiral— She says there are three things you can start doing today to break the cycle. And it's real similar to what we're talking about. She says, talk to yourself like you talk to someone you love. Mm. She says, reach out to someone you trust and tell your story. Mm. Now, Mm. we just have a minute or two, but we have to make the point. And Kurt Thompson also does this really well in his uh, book that we've been referencing. We have to make the point here that it will definitely involve getting it out to a safe person or people. That, that if you're going to walk free from shame, that's going to mean that you have, you know, a part of the healing cloud of witnesses, right? That, that you have a person or people that you really actually do share your heart with. And it might be in a whisper or it might be in a text. 
There's a lot of tears. Yeah. But that they know that you are terrified to tell them. Yeah. So, yeah, I did that thing again, or I looked at that webpage again, or I said that thing again, or I went there again. And that they, because they're united with you in the heart of God, they become a picture of how God responds to us in our shame, which is a picture of love and a picture of mercy. And so, yeah, when we do that, it is unbelievably powerful. Gosh, I wish I could talk about, uh, I have this exercise that I will often do, not often, sometimes do, with some retreat groups or conference groups that I go with, where we do it anonymously, but we do a pictorial representation of actual things that people are struggling with in the room, and we do it so that they're actual things that everyone in the room is struggling with, but no one knows whose is what. Mm. And by the time we get through, even the first two or three answers, I mean, the room is as though a pin could drop. And then by the time we get halfway through, people are crying. And sometimes by the end, people are, everyone is shaken. But some people are sobbing. And when I stop and say, what is happening? So many people say, no, 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 don't. No, they shouldn't believe that. No, they can't believe that. It's so easy to speak to the shame of other people. And so hard to speak to the shame of ourselves. But once we get it out in the light, it's so amazing to realize it's so universal. Literally, I've never done that um, exercise where somebody's answer or somebody's struggle has been so unbelievably different from Mm. another person. We're all struggling folks with insecurity. Everyone pretty much feels lonely in a crowd. Everyone pretty, you know, I mean, it's our struggles. I don't care if you're a billionaire. I don't care who you are. I don't care. (laughs) We are all the same in terms of these deep struggles. And once we can just eke that out in the presence of just even one other safe person, it's amazing what that does in terms of healing our shame and foiling the plot of hell to make us live in that shame. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so Allie, I know I know that uh, we've just wanted to give them a vision. It's a tiny bit of living in freedom from the grip of shame. Do you have any final words? I have a final verse if there's anything else you wanted to say. Oh gosh, no. This is this I mean, I you did. You took me to church. This has been so good. Thank <laughs> you so much. I think Jesus took us both to church. Yeah. So just as I was praying on the way over here, um, you know, I was like, okay, God, how do you want us to just like, what do you want to leave them with? And it was Psalm 34, verse 4. It says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. And I, and I just thought, oh, yes, God. So I do pray, Lord, that we would never be afraid of our brokenness and allowing that to just be a part of our lives. Lord, that fear would not rule us, that fear of man would not rule us, that fear of being found out as a fraud would not rule us, that fear of uh, making a mistake would not rule our lives, that instead we would walk around knowing we're just a human. (laughs) and humans are wonderful, and, you know, we're messed up, and we do great things, and we do dumb things, and that it it is okay to just be a human, but that we are treasured by you, and that that's all that matters, and that in being treasured by you, we can walk around absolutely secure. So I pray for one right now who doesn't believe he or she is treasured by you. I pray deliverance over that fear right now, Jesus, in your name. 
So we seek the Lord, <laughs> and we say, please deliver us from all these fears. And we want to be ones who are radiant, who, who <laughs> look to you, so that our faces will never be covered with shame. And so I thank you, Lord, that you are delivering each of us bit by bit, inch by inch, every day, more and more from the scheme of hell to keep us hidden behind and in a prison of shame and darkness, fearing exposure. We don't need to fear exposure when there is one who has paid it all for us, when there is one who knows all about us and loves us still and will deliver us to himself unscathed. And so we just ask you to seal everything that you've wanted to do in this time. And for each person who has listened this way through or even just caught a glimpse of whatever, Lord, would you just carry it by your spirit to each heart for whatever you wanted to do? And I'm just so thankful for them. So whoever they are, I just pray they'd sense your pleasure over them right now, Lord, and they'd be buoyed in their spirit. And certainly they would feel shame lifted even today. And they would be encouraged by you even now. Thank you, God. You love them so. You love us so. And you are amazing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.